Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good evening, and welcome to the edition of uh, this edition of V Radio. Um, tonight, our guest is Aaron. I'm going to ask you to pronounce your last name because I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. Aaron Macarick, yeah. Aaron Macarick from uh, yes. Open Source Ecology. If this is your first time listening to V Radio, please visit my website, v-radio or v-radio.org. There you can find other ar- archives of other shows like this one, including two other interviews with members of Open Source Ecology. You can also listen to shows where I interview documentary filmmakers, activists, scientists, politicians, the few good ones, <laughs> and um, you know lots of other great content, including roundtable discussions about current events here in the world. So that being said, um, welcome, Aaron, to V-Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Now... Um, Aaron, uh, as you know, it's actually going to go ahead and tell everybody here. It's like you guys are going to hear some noise in the background because he's actually on location at Open Source Ecology's uh, site in Missouri. Um, Aaron, where is that located? Um, it's about an hour north of Kansas City, and it's outside of Maysville, Missouri. And it's on a 30-acre site that we call Factor E Farm. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's held in a community trust. And we've got 30 acres that we're doing permaculture projects on, and we've, I don't know if you want to go into this now, but we've recently constructed 10 living units on site um, using the technology that we've developed. And um, we've basically basically got a compressed earth brick building to house everybody, and then we've got a 4,000 square foot fabrication facility that we just recently finished. And that was all constructed using the technology that we developed. So do you want to get into some of the, the, the bigger picture stuff first, more of the general topics? Well, kinda... um, first let's talk a little bit about you. Um, yeah. What was the precipice moment for you that made you to decide to become an activist? I guess I've been impacted since birth by a lot of the things, the, the negative consequences of empire. So, um, you know, I was born in a, in a Ukrainian community in western North Dakota, and both of my grandfathers fought in World War II. And then, um, you know, there's a, a lot of Ukrainians settled in the United States because of the what's called the Holodormer, which was the what was happening in the Soviet Union. The Ukraine was one of the, it's called the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, or it was, and it's some of the richest farmland in the world. And when Stalin came into power... He centralized all agriculture, which meant that everything that was grown had to be transported back into central locations, and nobody could keep any of the food that they were growing. And, and there's a there's a pretty famous story of, you know, like a little girl going up after the grain was harvested, and her family had spent the whole season harvesting that grain, and she they had no food of their own, and she went out to pick up some grain off of the ground, and a Soviet soldier rides up on a horseback and kicks her in the face. Wow. You know, it was in the Holodormer, which is you know similar to the word Holocaust, 30 million people were killed um, out of the, the, the collectivization of, the, of society and the farming practices. So, you know, I, I have family to this day that lives in, in the Ukraine, but in western North Dakota, a lot of people fled what was happening in the Soviet Union and resettled there. And I grew up, my grandmother went to Harvard, and then she came back to North Dakota and founded the Ukrainian Cultural Institute. And 
basically kept the spirit of Ukraine as an independent culture, you know, independent from what the, the basically Russia and the Soviet Union were trying to impose on on our on our culture and history. You know, Ukraine has its own language, its own history. That's where the Cossacks emerged from, and there's a really proud tradition of the Cossacks rising up against, you know, external empires imposing rule on our Ukrainian land. So, you know, my grandmother founded the Ukrainian Cultural Institute, and to this day it, it tells the story of the early settlers and just keeps the culture alive in western North Dakota. So I grew up, you know, speaking the language to a limited extent, um, creating like pesenka, which are those decorative eggs, um, and doing, you know, traditional dancing and all that. But that's that's kind of a that's kind of a background, and I share that with our founder, the founder of Open Source Ecology. He was born in Poland, and so he directly experienced a lot of the horrible consequences of, you know, Soviet rule in Poland. And his um, his grandparents, you know, resisted. They were in the underground movement, resisting in the Nazi occupation and all that. So you know, he and I have some of a similar Slavic you know, background and heritage, but also, you know, to get more specific on myself, my my dad is a disabled Vietnam veteran, and he's been, you know, he was traumatized by war. War is one of the worst things that anybody can be exposed to, and there's really nothing you can do about it once you face that kind of trauma. It's like reality has Basically, there is a strain of hell that runs through the human experience, and there's nothing we can do about it except make choices to directly confront it and try and create an alternative. So, you know, I grew up with the background of a disabled veteran as a father, and then my mother passed away from cancer at an early age. And so, you know, those personal experiences wed with, you know, having an open mind at a ripe age of Right around 17, I, I moved out of a really restrictive environment, and I got to basically get raised by my older brother. He's eight years older. He exposed me to, you know, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals and Noam Chomsky. I remember reading What Uncle Sam Really Wants when I was 17 and having my mind blown. And going to punk rock shows, and, and we played our own punk rock music and got into hip-hop and just listened to Rage Against the Machine and all kinds of, you know, Ani DeFranco and reading Jack Kerouac and just kind of immersing, <clears throat> immersing myself in all these things that I couldn't directly find in my immediate environment, you know, like the, the collective works of all these great revolutionaries. I was able to access them and at a time when my mind is open. And then, uh, you know, I founded <clears throat> the chapter of Amnesty International in my high school, and I was hired by them when I was a freshman in college, and I threw the Community Festival when I was in college using a grant from Amnesty International to raise awareness of human rights and torture abuse throughout throughout the world. Um, and then I just have a long history of working in nonprofits and trying to find a sustainable way to have a real genuine impact. Um, yeah, I have to say, uh, given the background, particularly about you knowing about the difficulties of fascist communism, um, it's interesting that you did not take the route that many people do when they, they get out of that is they immediately go to, oh, well, we need, you know, absolute free market capitalism, you know, like they kind of sprout like off in the in the wrong direction, you know, um, at least from my perspective anyway, is just to say that like, oh, well, you know, since Stalin was an evil fascist murderer, communism or any idea where anybody shares can never possibly work. 
You know, um, I, I think that uh, one of the benefits of open source ecology is that it's kind of about empowering people to be able to take care of themselves in communities, you know, wherein they can produce everything that they need rather than trying to rely on ever being able to accomplish, like, market share and, you know, to be able to make money, you know, in the system. So, I mean, uh, but before we, you know, kind of go on that, let, let's talk about, like, how you got involved with open source ecology. Okay, I had... I founded a nonprofit and ran that, you know, on a daily basis, ran myself ragged uh, working with kids in residential treatment centers. And we brought music production programs to work with these kids who are basically on the verge of ending up in prison. Um, they come from a history of exposure to violence and, <clears throat> and you know, abuse from a, uh, abusive backgrounds. And so after a couple of years of doing that, I realized, you know, we're, we're helping these kids kind of in an immediate sense, but we're not solving these fundamental issues that are leading these kids to end up, you know, on the verge of being locked up as adults or young adults. So I left the organization and I had seen Martian's TED Talk, you know, a lot of people, that's, that's the genesis of their involvement with OSE is they see Marchant's TED Talk and they're galvanized. You know, I was totally inspired. And so I just wrote him a letter and I was like, you know, I had a, I have a history of working in a metal fabrication shop and I was a, a blacksmith apprentice. And I had some savings saved up. So I was like, you know, I just want to come out to the farm and get involved. And then things changed in my personal life. I ended up using my savings to help my girlfriend go to India and I ended up staying and working remotely as basically what turned into a job as the director of development. So my my primary goal is to raise money and build the organizational capacity to do technical development so that we have a real robust organization behind the scenes so that you know we can endure and have a lasting impact and also build partnerships with people that can fund us so that we can scale the organization. Excellent. Now, let's talk then, I guess, uh, first of all, I mean, um, you know, because obviously, you know, my listeners have heard about open source ecology in the past. Uh, what's going on out there right now? Like, I've watched a little bit of your videos. Like, you said that you guys actually have a building made with the compressed um, brick, you know, basically earth-pressed brick layer thing. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. Oh, yeah, I know. I stumble on that all the time. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so... We did a Kickstarter campaign at the end of 2011, and mm -hmm. we raised $63,000 to finalize four beta release machines and fully document them. So we made the tractor, which can be built for $6,000 as opposed to going and buying a baseline John Deere for 25000 Right. And then we made a comp compressed earth brick press, which can, which can take basic soil and pump out 5,000 blocks a day. And you can use those blocks to, to basically build your own house. So the other two, the other two machines are a power cube that can run any of the machinery. It's a modular hydraulic power unit that can be plugged in. You, you just hook it up, and you can run any of the machines. So not every machine that we build has to have its own engine, which cuts costs. And then the final thing is a soil pulverizer to take down just earth and break it up into fine silt, so that it can be easily pressed into bricks and so we took that technology and an anonymous grant that we got outside of uh, somewhere in Europe um, to build 10 living units so we have a huge dormitory and you know when you picture that building in your mind you might think okay this is 
in the past when I see people trying to do a self-sustaining community, you know, they don't have a budget and everything. The technology is pretty low tech. But this building in, it, in itself looks like basically like a yoga studio that you would see somewhere in the southwest, like Sedona or something. It's got stucco walls. It's got skylights. It's got wood timber framing. I mean, it's really a nice place to live. There's, right. a, kitchen, there's a kitchen and an office. So, you know, we're, we're definitely, our goal is to create a civilization um, that's comparable to the living standard that you might find in a, in a major metropo- metropolitan area. So we're not we're not trying to suffer out there. It's definitely you know a pretty nice living circumstances. So we've got <clears throat> uh, what's called a hab lab, ten living units, and then we've got a bunch of individual housing buildings that we've built over time. And then we've also recently constructed a four thousand square foot fabrication and training facility. So it's a giant slab of concrete, four thousand square feet, and there's twelve bays, skylights. It's a really nice shop. You know, like it looks as as nice as any kind of metal fabrication shop that that you would find in a in a in a city, and we've it's all off grid, so we've got power inverters and battery storage and solar you know solar panels, and one of the machines that we're working on is a steam engine that can be run either by solar concentrated energy, so using mirrors to concentrate sunlight on a water source to make steam, or else you can use biomass and burn that to create steam. And biomass generally is a waste product of any kind of farm situation. So, you know, grass clippings or excess hay or any kind of branches, just biomass in general, anything biological material. So you can use, you know, we have diverse ways of producing electricity and, you know, the steam engine should be online within a six-month time frame. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember uh, him talking about the possibility of the steam engine and, um, I do have a question about the tractor. This is something that I frequently read online when people look at the tractor. Is like they're concerned that you guys didn't put a screen or something on there to protect the people driving it. Have you guys addressed that? Okay, so you know, part of the open source advantage, like mm-hmm. one of the one of the opportunities of working with open source technology, is that it never stops being innovated. Right. And there's no bottlenecks to innovation because nobody owns the idea as private property. It's it's released to the public domain so that anybody in the world can access it, tinker with it, improve it, and then implement it for whatever purpose they have. So the life track right now is there you know, it looks like it's dangerous, but once we finalize documentation and I'd like to get into that, we have plans to, to release the next version of it sometime in the next six months. Right. So all of these concerns, you know, it's good that people have feedback. That's how this this gets improved. We we met some of our original goals, which are to make it a lot cheaper and make it modular and affordable to build and easy to to service. And also, you know, longevity is one of our specifications. So the tractor meets a lot of our our original intended specs and yeah, there's room for improvement, but if uh one of our general ethics that we like to put out there is, you know, anybody can get involved. And one of the best ways to get involved is instead of focusing on pointing out a problem, point out the problem and then identify a solution. That's that's one of the best ways to move this forward. There's nothing stopping anybody out there from getting involved and making it a better situation. And it's always a collective community effort. 
Um, I absolutely agree, and I actually made that argument on your benefit more than once on the Internet. I just wanted people to be able to hear it officially from someone from Open Source Ecology. So, yeah, I mean, I always had faith that something would get done about it. I guess to me it was like, that's like the easy part. I'm like, if you can't figure out how to put a screen on for yourself, then fine. We're just trying to get you a tractor that... You know, you can build on. I guess that would be my point. I just wanted somebody like from the organization to have a chance to say something about it. Um, I mean, no, we're aware of it. I mean, we joke behind the scenes about having to develop an open source prosthetics line. <laughs> <laughs> oh this man, stuff could be dangerous. But yeah, I mean, it'll get there. We'll, we're going to meter exceed industry standards. That's the goal. Excellent, excellent. Um, so. Earthbrick Press obviously worked out. You guys are making buildings with it. That's really awesome. Um, what are yeah. the other devices that are working? On, you guys are working on now. Okay, we're we're building a micro track, which mm-hmm. is basically like a personal tractor, walk behind, or you just ride it. Mm-hmm. And you, can, you can attach different devices to it for different purposes. So it's just a smaller version of the tractor, and <clears throat> we have a uh, Brianna Kufa came out from California. Um, she's been doing an excellent job working on the iron worker. Mm-hmm. Um, so what an iron worker is, it's basically a staple in any kind of metal shop. What it what it does is it's got a hole punch, so you can put different dies on it and punch holes in in, um, in sheets of steel um, or, or plates of steel. So rather than having to drill, use like a, a drill press or manually drill holes in steel, you can just quickly punch a hole with a ton of pressure right into the, the plate and just knock it out really fast. And then it's also got a shear on it so you can cut metal really fast. Um, so normally you'd pay like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for a, an iron worker, and she's making it. We don't have cost estimates, but it's it's less than $10,000 for this thing, and it's only going to get better. So that's that's heavily in development. Um, some of the other progress updates, uh, Peter Thiel, I believe he was one of the founders of, of PayPal, but don't quote me on that. I, I can't remember how he made his money. I know he was featured in uh, the social networks because he was involved in the, the founding of Facebook, too, maybe one of the venture capitalists that got involved in early stages. But he started a program called uh, 20 Under 20, where there's 20 people who are under 20 years old who apply and then if they get it they get a hundred thousand dollars to not go to college (laughs) so the point of that is you know they're they have some kind of quote from mark twain saying they never want oh i'm gonna totally botch this so let me just pull this up but (laughs) that's fine it's something about not wanting to get let something get in the way of your education. Yeah, here we go. I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. That's the quote from Mark Twain. That That's the motto of their organization. So basically we've had a guy. He's a, a young guy from Canada. His name is Yunso Kang. Yunso. Mm-hmm. And he's been working on the computer-controlled circuit maker for at least six months, maybe longer. And uh, he flew out to California, and Marchin, our founder, went out there with him. And uh, he he got the fellowship. So Yunso is working on basically a machine that can be controlled by a computer and, and some computer code, and you can make circuits locally in your own fabrication shop. Um, so he's working on that in a cold cutting saw. And you know, just to touch on 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 the potential of that, one of the things that we like to say is that we are more than just tractors. So we're not just about 
being a bunch of hippies on a farm, you know, we're not about that at all. It's it's about creating robust uh, manufacturing capabilities at a local level. So with a circuit maker, you know, we're not just growing food. We're also able to make circuit boards to control, you know, everything from a CNC torch table. So you can, like, predefine torching scripts into a computer-controlled router that can go in and torch out, you know, different shapes on sheet metal. And um, we also have, like, plans for a 3D printer, and that's probably going to need a circuit board. Um, computers are obviously integrated into many, many technologies that underlie high living standards in modern civilization. So, yeah, we, we, we plan to have digital fabrication be part of what we're working on. And Yunso Kang, he, um, he's a Peter Thiel 20 under 20 fellow that's recently announced. So he's on site working on that. Um, <clears throat> but one of, one of the major efforts that's underway right now is we're trying to work on bootstrap funding, which is a replicable model for basically bringing in reven revenue into an organization. So we have an elite funding model up to this point using uh, nonprofit foundations as partners, and they give us large grants, and then we can develop the technology. But our ultimate, our ultimate goal is to create a model that's replicable all over the world. And since not everyone's going to be able to access nonprofit foundation grants to fund the development of the technology at a local level. Uh, we want to we want to build an enterprise model that other people can use. So we hired a guy named Marshall Hilton. He works for Arip, which is like a sustainable engineering construction firm that's out of San Francisco. He's a mechanical engineer, and he's going to be out at Factory Farm at the end of the month, and he's going to stay out there for three months. And Marshall's job is to be the production director. So we're going to start with the compressed earth brick and power and hydraulic power unit called the power cube. Mm -hmm. And we're going to try and prove that we can basically build these machines and sell them and bootstrap fund our operations. And we're just going to build an enterprise and start with the CEB and try and generate income to fund the organization that way. And then we'll, we'll eventually scale up and start manufacturing all the other machines and selling them. And what we have is called a uh, it's called an open distributive enterprise. So all of our business models, and also the uh, the the the, uh, the record of success or failure for that business model will be transparent and made available in an archive of online open source business models, so that anybody in the world can take those enterprise models and incorporate them in their local economy and try and you know liberate themselves from having to work for other people in order to survive and ultimately have you know liberate themselves from having to depend on anybody but natural ecosystems to survive you know that's the long term long term goal so we have a a pretty solid plan to build this enterprise and manufacturing capacity uh locally um, we've also got Gabrielle LeBlanc. She's um, our agriculture director. Yeah, I she, noticed that agriculture was starting up again because, like, for yeah. a while there, Marchant had kind of backed off of it, I guess. So now you guys are doing it again. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a major integral role. Like, we want people to be able to build communities and grow enough food to feed themselves in, a, in an entire community. So that's pretty exciting. You know, the bigger picture of what we're offering is – you know, we can mag a lot like the Zeitgeist movement. We can magnetize international attention and talent and collaborative opportunities. So people 
really see us as, as a vanguard or a leader in developing, you know, sustainable practices or responsible development practices. Um, and our task, our main priority is to document the best techniques that people have all over the world and create training curriculum so that other people can use that without any kind of barriers so there's no cost. People can teach themselves with the tools that we provide to liberate themselves. So part of her name is Gabrielle LeBlanc. Part of her job is to, you know, build up the soil content and bring up the mineral content and bring in, you know, she's got experience with farm animals. So we're going to have, you know, goats and cows and chickens on site. And um, we're also going to expand into having an orchard or, or further developing the orchard and also, you know, having greenhouses and just generating enough food at first. Our, one of our major benchmarks is to generate enough food to feed 30 people on site. But then, you know, everything we do is based on bootstrap funding. You know, that's one of the priorities too. So Gabriella is trying to build different business enterprise models and then we'll, you know, we'll have an on-site documentation team that, that creates those business models and puts them in an archive so other people can use them elsewhere. That's awesome. Now, what is, uh, I mean, what's life like as a member of, like, the open source ecology family, so to speak? Like, what's your guys' day-to-day like? Well, I mean, it depends on the seasons. You know, we're living in the elements. Um, you know, we've got pretty nice housing, but it's... We're building like uh, collaboration tools and project management techniques, and also personal development as part of this. So it's not about being linear in your in your development process. Process. It's it's not about coming to factory farm and just learning how to be a metal fabricator or a, a machine builder. It's about being responsible for yourself, um, trying to learn how to be in touch with your emotions and communicate effectively. Um, how to work with people in a challenging environment where the stakes are high and there's a lot of responsibility, like how to how to use nonviolent communication to work out your problems. But also, one of the uh, one of the innovative ways that we're we're building community on site, and this this fits with one of our ethics of promoting generalism as opposed to specialization, is we have training we have training courses that are available every Saturday where based people engage in cross-training exercises. So, you know, we do have someone who's a agriculture director, but we also want her to know how to, you know, weld and cut metal and also how to work with, like, a, a CAD platform to do 3D modeling or video documentation. So as an entire community, we engage in learning uh, learning practices on Saturdays so that everybody becomes a generalist and doesn't have any kind of fear around not having an engineering an engineering degree, you know, for example. So day-to-day life is, you know, we've got a shop running, we're developing the technology, we're designing new machines, we're going to be growing food here pretty quick. Um, we've, we're doing a ton of organizational development behind the scenes, which is not necessarily a fun job. Um, that's why things, you know, basically if you want to have a world changing impact, you got to have a plan. And that's been one of our main priorities behind the scenes. Um, but by July 15th, our, our goal is to have 17 people on site where we have a team of Greek Greeks coming out. There's uh five students and one of their engineering professors are going to come out for a month and help us, uh, 
basically they're going to learn from us and also teach us from what they know. Um, so yeah, you know, we're trying to build a, uh, a model for sustainable, responsibly developed community. And it's, this has been done in other places. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel by any means. So, you know, if you're out there and you're listening and you feel like you can contribute to the conversation and enlighten us on practi practices that are tried and true in terms of developing a community or even building housing with sustainable practices or growing food or whatever, like don't hesitate to contact us through our website, um, opensourceecology.org. That's awesome. Yeah, that's basically, uh, you know, having kind of kept up on your videos and stuff with the different things that, you know, you've been managing to accomplish over this whole, you know, this whole time, I got to say, you know, it's exciting to see that the work that you're doing, and I'm glad to see you guys are still at it. Uh, are you guys still doing the true fans thing? Yeah, we're over 632 fans right now, which is basically a program. Uh, let me Let me just... Hold on one second. There's a, I've got our website right in front of us. Sure. This was derived from the uh, thousand squared campaign. Okay, here we go. So this this idea came from, you know, in the age of Napster. That's when I went to college. Napster was huge, and then like, <laughs> told, you know. Yeah, I remember I, Napster. Yeah, like I, when I was in college, we had you know T1 or university servers with excellent internet speeds and mm -hmm. you can virtually find any song you wanted through Napster or whatever but basically like a lot of musicians found that they weren't getting paid for you know creating their music and and we need we need we need to figure out a way to value artists as a society even though you know it's easy to get their 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 art for free or their music for free so this guy came up with I was hoping that I could find his name but he came up with the idea for the, the thousand squared campaign. So, the goal is to to generate ten bucks a month from a thousand individuals for twenty four months at a time, mm -hmm. and we're up to six hundred and thirty people. And if you go to our wiki front page, it says true fans right at the top in bold, and you can see images and pictures and bios of everybody who's a true fan. So this allows people to you know contribute in a small way that adds up, and you know be in touch with the organization and and get our I mean, they're basically supporting something uh, we feel like could really liberate millions of people from dependence on a system that doesn't really care about them. Care about them, yeah. Anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, well, you know, having talked about this before, I, I guess I'm trying to cover anything that I remember people asking about it in the past. Oh, yes. Uh, do you guys do internships? Yeah, so we absolutely do. We have a training program. So if you go to our YouTube channel, it's M-A-R-C-I-N-O-S-E. That's the YouTube channel. One of the uh, playlists is a recruiting playlist. And we've done like 60 or 70 interviews in the past two months. Um, so right now we've got two people on site that are interns. Mm -hmm. but, but the goal is to have 30 people on site. And the interns basically learn everything from sustainable housing construction agriculture to metal fabrication and product development um so yes if you want to get involved as an intern send an email to recruiting at opensourceecology.org and we'll we'll set up an interview or there's a whole process that you would go through 
Um, so yeah, absolutely, we do welcome people to come, but you you know we have a we have a process for that. So go ahead and just engage in that process, and we'll see what what comes of it. Is there any like particular area of expertise you guys are lacking that you're looking for right now? I would say that everything we're good at needs to be done a hundred times. So, you know, anybody with any kind of journeyman or master level skill that wants to help us out, please contact us. You know, some of the main priorities are strategic planning, enterprise development, product development, project management. Um, we definitely want subject matter experts to be mentors and advisors in a million different ways. So yeah, okay. One of the things that one of the things that I want to touch on, this is a pretty big subject, so I'll just dive right in, is there's people all over the world that already know about us and that want to get involved and it's only going to grow. So right now we're in 14 countries in Europe. OSC Europe is a pretty big movement and it's self-directed. Um, we've got Manu Manuel Aguilar. He's the founder of Quetzal. He's starting OSC in, in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And we've got uh, Butte Metz. He started a fabrication shop in the Philippines. Um, was Tom Bamford has started community in um, Canada, and we've got people all over the United States, from Texas to California to Missouri to New York. So there's a huge network of distributed collaborators that we really want to be able to harness their talent <clears throat> to solve problems and further the mission. So we've created. You know, one of this is this is one of the one of our, our huge partnerships is Team Wikispeed out of Seattle. They're building a hundred mile per gallon uh, road safe crash tested vehicle uh, that got tenth in the uh, Progressive Insurance X Prize competition, beating out Tesla Motors and MIT. So <laughs> Joe, Joe Justice, cool. yeah, Joe Justice, uh, he's the leader of Team Wikispeed. He's one of our partners, and what they did is they took this software project management technique called scrum uh it's it's basically like a, a technique agnostic form of, of accomplishing goals you know we we identify what we want to accomplish and then teams have multiple they have a lot of leeway to succeed in generating the outcomes that they're after uh team wiki speed was one of the first teams maybe the first team that we've ever known of, uh that the world has ever seen to to apply scrum project management techniques to the dev to to the development of hardware, and so with them we learned a lot with them, and we've developed an online collaboration platform called Flash EXM, uh, which is you know, it's a what is it? It's a truncation of uh, Scrum and Flash Mobs, and so we have an online collaboration platform where you know we send out a survey that is basically determines what skills people have. And then we have a database of people all over the world and the skills that they have. And then we can call up, you know, impromptu, unplanned meetings at any point in time and and solicit the, the expertise of people all over the world to directly meet on meet in this online collaboration environment and solve a problem. So I'll illustrate an example. When I worked for Amnesty International, you know, the goal is to stop torture, right? And you know, there's a saying from yoga that awareness itself is a healing act. So just to be aware is one of the first steps in healing a situation. 
the awareness itself is so powerful. And with Amnesty International, when, when let's say, a third-world dictator is torturing some dissident, you know, a freedom fighter in their own country, in the past, before the Internet and before all the global communication technology, they were able to do that under the cover of darkness because no one could be aware of it. But Amnesty innovated this technique to use mass text messaging and email and and phone trees to, when they learn of torture happening in a third world country, they send out the call to action and everybody sends text messages and emails and starts calling the the government offices of this dictator who's supposedly torturing somebody and saying, you know, we are aware of what you're doing. You need to stop. The whole world is watching you. And so we're we're basically applying that to the, to solve problems that OSC is working on. So, for example, like let's say we've got a team working together to uh, build a bulldozer, right? But we don't necessarily know how to like take steel and have a machine that's going to be heavy enough without having to have a huge cost. So we've got a, basically a problem or a bottleneck bottleneck in the development of this technology. Well, we can take the flash mob survey database. And we can identify subject matter experts by just filtering out, you know, skills, people with different skills. And we can send out a, tech, a mass text message or a mass email or a phone call to each one of those people. Eventually, there will be thousands of people in that database. And we can say, meet up on the online collaboration platform if you want to, if you have the time. It's this afternoon. And then whoever shows up, they can collaborative, collaboratively work together to you know loosen up that bottleneck and help us solve that problem and then we can continue development and we're building on a, a, a distributive global collaboration platform and a, and a method for solving problems that will be able to be applied to everything from feeding people in third world countries to generating electricity or building transportation or manufacturing goods or growing food I mean the, the possibilities are endless so yeah, we're we're really excited to roll out this uh, project management platform, and that's been one of the big things that we're working on behind the scenes. So to get back to your original uh, suggestion or question is, if you want to get involved, that's a huge, great way to get involved. Is fill out the flash mob survey. It's it's right there on the front page of our wiki, opensourceecology.org/wiki. And if you if you fill that out. We, you know, we can gauge your skills, and and we can contact you when we want to harness your talents. You know, that's excellent, excellent. Well, it's been awesome talking to you today, today, Aaron. Um, I guess uh, is there anything else you can think of that you guys need to get out there? Um, let's see. Yeah, we're starting a major recruiting effort, so we want to build a team. Do I have at least a couple minutes? No, you have all the time you need. Go ahead. Okay, so we got a we got a large grant from the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, and documentation is one of our main programs. So we we develop distance training, distance training uh, documentation tools so that people can can look online and look at how we build our machinery and look at our training materials and then replicate the technology locally. So we've we've done a certain amount of documentation and it's pretty good at this point, but this grant that we got is going to hire us a team of six full-time documenters to come on site. Mm-hmm. And let me just run through what jobs we need. We need a video documenter. We need a documentation director to run the entire team. We need a full-time blogger slash journalist. 
We need a CAD director, someone who can work on uh, building 3D models and fabrication drawings and, and exploded parts diagrams for the machinery. And then we want a documentation community manager. And finally, a curriculum developer. So these six roles need to be need to be filled um, ASAP. So if you want to apply, um, we're writing a blog post and that's going to be published this week. So go to our website, opensourceecology.org forward slash blog, B-L-O-G, and you'll be able to see uh, job descriptions and we'll talk about what pay is and the, and the terms. And if you want to apply, you can look right on that blog post and it'll tell you how to, how to get involved. So yeah, we're definitely trying to find some world leaders uh, to come out to Factory Farm and help build our documentation team. That's one of the major efforts we're working on right now. That's really great. Yeah. Well, it's definitely exciting to hear the different stuff you guys have going on now, and I'm glad that there's more ways for people to get involved. You know, you know I've, I've seen a few of the videos for you guys recruiting people and all that, and that's really awesome. Um, I mean, uh, I know that uh, I mean, before you were kind of getting responses. That was actually another thing. Were you working out there before the TED Talk? Like, could you comment on, like, how much of a change the TED Talk, you know, brought for open source ecology? I, I actually personally only came on after the TED Talk, so I can't really comment on that. Um, but I do know, you know, where we were at is the, the TED Talk put us on the map. There's a million hits. Marston's a, a TED senior uh He's a senior TED fellow now, mm-hmm. so we have access to a huge network of world leaders to help guide the process. Um, that helped us put on the, put us on the map. We got the Shuttleworth Fellowship. Uh, Mark Sherman founded that, and then uh, that's that's a fellowship for open source entrepreneurs. Um, and then we did the Kickstarter campaign. So all these things really built the momentum in the last year. And before that, you know, there were a couple buildings and kind of a shop but there were the people who were out there before that were diehard you know they were really working in confined spaces um and just trying to make it work um but they were they were definitely lifestyle investors and that's what we want to continue to see but we've also got the capacity now to 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 build more of a framework to support a more robust community uh we've definitely come a long way in a year and I guarantee you, in a year's time, we're going to blow your mind with what we with what we create. So get involved now and help us make it happen. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from everybody who wants to make an impact with this and join up. That's great. That's awesome. Well, um, now I guess uh, you know we've pretty much covered everything. Unless there's anything else you can think of as far as news you want to bring up. Uh. I think that's good. You know, I, I, I work on development, so if anybody wants to get in and help do uh, grant research or grant writing, you know, contact me at A-A-R-O-N at opensourceecology.org, Aaron at opensourceecology.org. Um, yeah, we want to build up a, a, a good team because we, we need financial revenue to, to make this happen. And, you know, the other way that we talked about is the True Fan Campaign. So you can go to the front page of our wiki and sign up to be a true fan that way through PayPal or Dwalla or whatever you want to do, um, direct transfer. So those, those are two ways to help do the financial foundation for expansion and scaling. Um, but, yeah, that's that's it, man. I appreciate your time. All right, awesome. I'll talk to you a little bit off the air here. Um, but I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Um, you know, Please check out my website, v-radio.org. Um, there you can find more shows like this one. Um, I believe I also, you guys, is uh, your main URL is still openfarmtech.org, right? 
The main URL is opensourceecology.org. Okay, I'm opensourceecology.org. Will, will openfarmtech.org still take them to the website, or...? You know what? I have... I'm, te- I'm checking right now. I mean, I, that's what I used to use. Yeah, that'll take you to the wiki, it looks like. Oh, the Open- wiki, okay. Yep. All right, well, that's awesome. Um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in tonight. And um, I'm working on some future shows. I'm supposed to have one lined up with Peter Joseph pretty soon to talk about his new uh, show that he's coming out with pretty soon. Uh, although he was on a global radio show recently as well. And um, I hope you guys also are enjoying the new co-host. Summer can't be on absolutely every show, but when she is on, it's always going to be awesome. Uh, very smart girl, very good addition to the show. So I'll leave you guys with some words from Jock Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jock Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.